Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey there, this is Pastor Nick, and uh, this is week four of Discussion Church. We are excited to engage the book of Daniel today and the time that God says to Daniel, do not fear. Now, here's the great thing. Our intern, summer intern, uh, Jeff Moore, is actually doing two parts of the teaching. I'll get to wrap up the third part, but part one and part two are on him. This is his first ever sermon. So, hey, as you're listening to this, make sure that you're praying and encouraging him in any way. You might want to do that. Leave him a message or send him an email. Um, But we're excited to share this with you. Just a reminder to those of you guys who are online, when we break into discussion times in the sanctuary, Jeff is going to go to the photo booth and he will engage in an online discussion. Now, you who are listening on the podcast or wherever else you might be listening to this recording, you're going to hear Jeff's side of the conversation as he reads comments. So you won't be able to read the comments that people are leaving, but you'll hear Jeff dialoguing during that time. So that's what's happening during this discussion time. Just wanted to give you that heads up. Really hope that Daniel blesses you. I really hope that uh, that Jeff's message blesses you. And I hope that you have a, a wonderful day. Thanks for being here. And thanks for being together. Today we're going to be uh, talking about Daniel. Um, God wants us to overcome our challenges and become better people. And return to live with him after this life. But he doesn't expect us to do it by ourselves. He guides us through the Holy Scripture, um, through, through the Holy Spirit, and through prophets. Now, a prophet is someone who has been called by God to give audience, or guidance, rather, to the entire world, from Abraham and Moses to Daniel. Um, the primary role of a prophet is um, to speak God's words to the people so that they hear what he needs them to hear. Um, Prophets served as God's megaphones, if you will, um, declaring whatever God commanded. There's a lot of intense visions in Daniel, um, and we're not gonna get deep into the visions because that's for another time. What I want you to get from this is that Daniel did have visions and that um, God spoke to him through visions. Uh, The book of Daniel tells the story of Daniel, um, but the main purpose is not the story of Daniel. It's to reveal to us who God is, his character, his purpose, and his way of working in the world for the good of his people. So the main lesson is not dare to be a Daniel, as you may have heard, but it's dare to trust Daniel's God is is the message. Um, The overall theme in the book of Daniel is God's sovereignty over history And the theme in chapters 1 through 6 is God's sovereignty over the earthly kingdoms. Um, God set, uh, chapter 7 through 12 is what uh, visions that Daniel had. Um, Daniel introduces the fundamental question that runs through the entire book. How God may continue to work his plans when all seems lost. Okay, now I want to stop here and emphasize this make you understand that God keeps working no matter what you're going through. When you're in a tough time, when you can't see a way, God makes a way. And you have to trust that God will show you the way 
in a way that you can understand it. Um, Daniel begins about 605 years before uh, Christ was born. God told, told the Jewish people what they needed to do and uh, that they must obey him. And the Jewish people, they sort of did their own thing. They didn't abide by what God said. Uh, they did more and more evil things. They worshiped false gods. Um, they didn't honor God the way he wanted them to. So God used the Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar to punish the Jews. Although Nebuchadnezzar didn't serve God, God still used him um, so that he could get his point across, basically. Um, God can use people that don't know him to help us. Um, as we learned last week, Daniel uh, was brought to Babylon, Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Hebrew names, um, they are chosen. Um, they had meaning. They were, they're connected to their faith. Um, but when Daniel got to Babylon, the chief official gave him a new name. And this new name was Belteshazzar. Um, since that's hard to say, I'm going to call him Daniel. If that's all right with you guys. Um, so, um, Daniel's first vision for King Nebuchadnezzar uh, is seen in scripture in Daniel 2.1. It says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubled me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. Now King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a smart guy. He thought, okay, if I tell him what my dream is, they're just gonna tell me what they think I wanna hear. So he wanted them to tell him what his dream was and then interpret it. Um, and he knew that um, the only way to trust them was if they could tell him what his dream was. Um, before they interpreted it. As I said before, we're not going to get into what all the dreams were and what they meant. Um, but uh, I just, want, like I said, I want to talk to you about some, some of the uh, dreams that he had. In, in Daniel 4, uh, the king had another dream, and the magicians, enchanters, and astrologers, and diviners could not interpret it. Finally, Daniel came in to interpret the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar said, I should probably change his name too because that's hard for me to say. Um, he calls him Belteshazzar uh, and he says, Chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. And of course, Daniel interprets the dream for him. Uh, the book of Daniel is, uh, like I said, in, in, in divided into two parts. One through six tells of Daniel and his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they were loyal to God. Um, and chapters seven through 12 are, are his dreams. Uh, today's teaching comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel was given a vision that concerned him greatly. Uh, he mourned for three weeks. Some Bible scholars interpret this as fasting. Um, I believe it would be wrong to call that fasting, though, um, because the biblical uh, idea of fasting is to abstain from food altogether, drinking only water. Daniel practiced a form of self-denial. Um, he um, ate only choice foods, no meat, no wine touched his lips. He used no lotion at all for three weeks. And um, I'll touch a little more on fasting in the second block here. but. Um, 
Chapter 10 begins when Daniel sees a glorious man, most probably an angel. Um, some argue that it was Jesus, but um, uh, my interpretation is it was an angel because they meant it references Jesus later in, in the chapter. Um, so he sees this man on the banks of the Tigris River. Uh, Daniel says that he was alone in the vision, so nobody else saw it, just, just him and him alone. Um, as godly as Daniel was, he was undone by this vision. Uh, Daniel's experience shows that even the holiest of men uh, fall short before God and even before his closest um, associates. So it says, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. So he's this glorious man standing there, and he, he uh, touches Daniel, and Daniel is trembling, and he tells him to get up. So he gets up. Um, Charles Spurgeon, um, who was a highly influential preacher among uh, various Christian denominations in the late 1800s, uh, said, some people are always afraid that if Christian people obtain full assurance and receive a sweet sense of divine love, they will grow proud and be carried away with conceit. I know of no greater blessing that can happen to any man and woman here than to be assured by the Spirit of God that they are greatly beloved of the Lord. Um, so, uh, continuing in, in verse 12, the man says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that I set, excuse me, from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So now the angel's there, he's talking to him, he's, he's going to explain to Daniel why he came and what opposition he faced along the way. So he said, since the first day your words were heard, God responded to Daniel's prayer in the very moment that he made his request known. Daniel had been in great and serious prayer for three full weeks. Um, the, man, the angel said, I've come because of them, meaning your words. Uh, now this is important, an angel was dispatched because of Daniel's prayer. This is another of the many reminders in the book of Daniel that prayer matters. It isn't merely a therapeutic exercise for the one who prays. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Since this prince was able to oppose the angelic messenger uh, to Daniel, we know that it was more than just a man. The prince that was some kind of angelic being, and we know that it was an evil angelic being because it was sent to oppose God's word to Daniel. And um, whenever we enter in communion, communion with God, it behooves us to have a, a due sense of the infinite distance between us and God. How shall we, the dust and ashes, we speak to the Lord of glory? Nothing is more likely, nothing more effectual to revive the drooping spirits of the saints than to be assured of God's love for us. 
From the very first day we began to look towards God in a way of duty, he reached out to meet us in mercy. Therefore, God is ready to hear prayer. When the angel told Daniel of the things to come, he was to return to oppose the decrees of the Persian king against the Jews. The angels are employed as God's ministering servants. Though much was done against the Jews the king, by the king of Persia, much mischief would have been done if God would not have stepped in. While Satan and his angels and evil counselors excite princes to mischief against the church, we may rejoice in Christ, our prince. He has favor and he watches over us, yet the whole counsel of God shall be established and let each one pray, Lord Jesus, be our righteousness now and that will be everlasting confidence through life in death and at the day of judgment and forevermore. So, a little heavy, not so heavy. Um, we have the first question we have for discussion uh, is, has God ever spoken to you in a dream? And do you think God still speaks to people that way? So, uh, we'll give you a little time at your table to uh, discuss that and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Okay. Has God ever spoken to you in a dream? Right, so our discernment is delayed, like uh, we don't know when it's happening, but if we look back on it, we can see that, yeah, that was, that was from God. Anybody else? Yep, some of it is very direct and, and, and you know it's from God at the instant that it happens. Some is delayed. Um, it's, it's different for everybody. Not everybody hears from God the same way. Um, some people don't hear from God in dreams. God uses different, different avenues to reach them. Um, anybody else had a dream? So we think that God still speaks to us that way, right? Um, uh, even though we're, we might not necessarily be prophets, um, God still speaks to us um, and tells us things that we need to know. He gets his word to us through dreams, through the scripture. Um, pardon me? Epiphanies. Glad I didn't have to spell that word. <laughs> Doesn't start with an I, does it? <laughs> okay. So now that we've seen that Daniel uses um, uh, visions, he gets visions and, and uh, uses fasting to uh, understand what those visions are, um, we're going to talk a little about fasting. Um, as I said earlier, bibl the biblical definition is uh, going without food um, and abstaining from uh, all food and drinking only water. Um, Daniel abstained from certain kinds of food. Um, the medical de definition of fasting is no food, only water. Technically, you can drink black coffee and black tea, but we're not going on the medical side. We're going to stay on the scriptural side. Um, so why do we fast? What are, what are some of the benefits of fasting? Well, it helps us overcome um, the calamities of life. Uh, fasting is the, one of the biblical ways to humble ourselves. Um, it says that in Psalms 35, 13. Um, Esther used fasting when she was faced with danger. Ezra fasted for protection. Jehoshaphat fasted in the time of the invasion of the confederated armies of Canaanites and Syrians. 
So when we are facing something that is unsettling, upsetting, we can use fasting um, to help us to, uh, for lack of a better word, combat that fear, that unsettling. Um, the, uh, another way, uh, another benefit of, of uh, fasting is it renews our connection with God. Um, Jesus said that his disciples will fast when he is gone, and when we fast, we get our hunger back for the presence of God. Um, Moses was with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights, eating only, um, without eating bread and water, and he wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets. Um, it, another benefit is it empowers us to fulfill God's calling in our life. Now you say, how does that fulfill our calling in our life? Well, if you're fasting and praying uh, to what God wants you to do, then that will help you discern what your calling is. Uh, most people in the, uh, in the Old Testament fasted um, during a crisis. Uh, something would happen and they would fast and they would um, uh, pray. And, and uh, Jesus fasted for his calling. He spent, uh, uh, started his uh, ministry uh, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So um, we all fast. Uh, we, we fast uh, to find out what God wants us to do. Um, fasting also helps to defeat the devil. Once the disciples uh, could not cast out a demon, so Jesus said that this one will not leave but by prayer and fasting. Uh, so fasting helps to break the bonds of wickedness, undo heavy burdens, and empower us to break the, every yoke. So there's a few types of fasting. There's the full fast, which you drink only water, and you choose how long you want to go, how long you want to fast. Um, there's a partial fast, which... Um, some people do from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. or sunup to sundown. Um, and uh, then there's the Daniel fast, which you um, eat no meats, no sweets, no bread, drink only water and juices, and eat fruits and vegetables. Um, you can select from these types of fasting, the full fast, the, uh, the Daniel fast, or just give up one, one food, like chocolate. Oh, okay. Um, fasting is a form of self-denial for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. Fasting is one of God's chosen ways to deepen and strengthen our prayer life. So when you fast, it's more about what you do in conjunction with the fasting, not just the fasting itself. Um, now, I can hear some of you out there saying, Jeff, I can't fast. I can't give up food. Either I love it too much or I have a medical condition that my doctor says I can't fast. So I propose an alternate fast. So instead of fasting food, maybe you give up TV for an hour, or social media for an hour, or something else you like to do for that hour, or, or longer if that's what you decide to do. And instead of eating or being on TV or watching uh, stuff fly by on social media, you spend that time in prayer. So instead of watching Big Brother, spend an hour, uh, praying. Um, Daniel fasted for three weeks before he got his answer. Um, so I need to emphasize it, that fasting is not instantaneous. Doesn't mean if you say, okay, I'm going to skip lunch today and I'll talk to God for five minutes, then I'll get the motorcycle that I've been praying for. It doesn't work that way. 
you, 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 fasting is, you have to, uh, you have to do it to get uh, the benefit from it. Um, it's a, ne a necessary step before we fast, though, is um, that we must humble ourselves before God um, and confess our sins. So prayer should be our sustenance through the fast, but it's imperative that we, we begin the fast with a repentant heart. Um, if we just go to him and we're, we're not humble and we're not repentant, then um, it's not going to be effective. Um, prayer and fasting are also not something that you need to tell everybody about. Oh, I'm going to fast for the next three days. Fasting is between you and God. Um, nobody needs to know about it. Um, it's not something that you do for show. Um, Jesus said in Matthew, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. During the time of uh, fasting, uh, the face and the clothes, they often look like you haven't bathed and you haven't washed your clothes because you've been spending all your time with God. Um, Jesus, uh, by saying that, uh, wanted the people to put oil on their face so that nobody knew that they were fasting. Um, God knew what their fast was. Um, they don't want to call attention to themselves. Um, God is watching us, always. However, he's not uh, up there being a celestial policeman snooping in order to catch us doing something. Um, he is looking at us lovingly as a heavenly father wanting to bless us. Um, and he's looking for opportunities that he can bless us. And by fasting and praying, um, we give him that opportunity to bless us. Um, so the question is, um, which audience matters most to you? The earthly or the heavenly? Man or God? So, in summary, fasting is a tool used to draw closer to God's will. Spending time with God is always a good way to, to discern what he, he wants you to do. Uh, some people say that they are too busy, and that's why they don't spend enough time with God. In a time we're being pulled all over the place, maybe giving up social media for an hour or two or a day or two will get you back in to have that time with God. Um, and knowing that we all spend time every day doing things that we're just doing them, either it's out of habit, I know sometimes I come home from work and I turn on the TV because I can't go to sleep right away. Um, so instead of turning on the TV, maybe I should open my Bible. Um, those, are, those are little sacrifices, and it's not really a, a, a huge sacrifice I can do without TV for an hour while I talk to God. So um, that brings us to our second question. Um, what is your experience with fasting? Have you used it in the past? And would you be willing to try it in the future? So, uh-oh. So, uh, what is your experience with fasting? Have you used it in the past? And would you be willing to use it in the future? So you can discuss at your tables, and that, there they are. So. Okay. Um, anybody want to share their experience with fasting? 
Lent. Okay, so fasting during Lent is, is something that we do, yes. Giving up snacks, that's, that's hard. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else never fasted that is open to it in the future? Well, I think, yeah, you, you'd be willing to give up time, uh, things. Um, I don't think if you've never fasted, you should just jump in with a 40-day fast. I think that might be a bit much. Um, but give up one thing. Um, right, absolutely. Uh, Amy Jo online said that um, she woke up this morning, she was considering fasting because of a medical condition. Uh, so she's so thankful for this message today. Isn't that awesome how God works? You wake up thinking something, and then that's the message. I don't know how many times I've come here that when, when Pastor Nick has given us the message, it was aimed right at me. Um, so that's, that's amazing how God works in that way that, you know, and it may have hit every single person a different way, but it's the same message that he's speaking. That's, that, that's, that's awesome. Um, I fast. Sometimes it's not uh, of my own doing. I work third shift, so I, I miss lunch every day. Because I sleep through lunch. <laughs> so I wake up in the morning and I eat, or in the evening and I eat dinner. Um, so I can't really pray during my fast. So I don't really count it as a fast, but it kind of is a fast. So, uh, Well, it, going without, a week without social media, I think, is very difficult for a lot of people. I, I, think, I think going without social media for an hour is difficult for some people, myself included. Um, I, I, Right. I, and I don't post on social media, I just read it. It's not, it's not, I'm a stalker. <laughs> right, right. So, any other comments about fasting? So, so she said um, fasting needs to be something that you do willingly, and that's, like I said, you have to humble yourself before God and go with a repentant heart. If you just get together with a bunch of friends and say, hey, we're going to fast, it's probably not going to be that effective. Um, but if you, if you do it and it's from your heart, um, God can bless you and, and bless you immensely. All right. All right, thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for that. Really appreciate it. Um, I get to do our third section of the sermon and kind of try and bring things home here a bit. Sometimes I wonder if the sin of this generation of the church is control. Control. Now, I'm not saying that people that are my age are any more or less controlling than people younger or older than me. I'm not talking about an age group. I'm talking about the church. The church has been around for 2,000 years. And about a thousand years in, there was a great split, east and the west, Latin and Greek. And then about 500 years after that, there's another split, and we have the Catholics and the Protestants. And then a few years after that, we have another split, and the Anabaptists come out of nowhere. And that's where we find our home in this church. We're part of the Anabaptists. But through the history, the 2,000 years of the church, the church has had a number of different issues and problems, some more public, some more private, but a variety of different things, sins, that it's struggled with over the years. 
I just wonder if the one that we struggle with the most today, that our churches struggle with the most today, is control. Think about the things that we desire to control. How about politics? I feel like that is just, it takes the cake for me. That's the top one. That's the easy, easy fruit to pick off the tree this morning. If we have the right officials, then we can legislate God's way. That's sort of what we think. I mean, if, if we're honest, deep down, that's what we think. If we elect the right people, then we can legislate the way of God. Or think about the Supreme Court. If we have the right judges, then we can judge God's way. Or think about money. We like to control money. If I have enough money, then I can be generous God's way. Education, if I have enough education, then I can teach God's way. Think about war and violence. That is a form of control. Don't do something that is against God's way because I'll do whatever it takes to make God's way. And I'm not even talking about things like race or sexuality. I mean, in both those areas, the history of the church has been not very, not very good. The history of the church has been get on the bus or get run over by it, my way or the highway. And now think about this. Every single one of the things I just mentioned are things that we fight over, that we argue about, and we divide over. Politics, Supreme Court, money, education, war, violence, race, sexuality, every single one of them. Do you know what a fault line is? It's a place in the crust of the earth where when an earthquake happens, the tectonic plates move there, right? That's where, that's where it moves. These are the areas that are fault lines for the American church. The American church that we're a part of. I don't say that as a judgmental person from the outside looking at the American church. I say that as somebody who is very much a part of the American church today who says these are the fault lines of the church. These are the places that we divide. These are the places where the ground comes apart and becomes a chasm that feels like it's uncrossable and the people that are on the other side of it because of what they believe or what they've said, well, they're not my people anymore. We seek to control so much. We hold on so tightly And the moment that we feel out of control, we lash out to whomever and whatever is nearby. Think about the last five years alone, how much lashing out has happened. Even in your families, in your friend groups, in your community, in your church. When we choose control over trusting God, we are choosing to hold something back. Sometimes we hold back our sexuality. We say, I'm all in, God, but this thing, sex, that's my thing. That's, that's a private thing. I know you have this ideal. I know you have this plan in this way, but God, I'm gonna follow you, but this, well, look, that's not realistic. I'm gonna do this. Sometimes we hold back our race. We see ourselves as white or black or brown before we ever see ourselves as followers of God. I'll follow God as long as he doesn't mess with that because that is so much a part of my identity that I can't see putting God above that thing. Or politics. I mean, let's just be real honest. There's a lot of people 
And a lot of us fall in this category. We have a lot more faith in an official, in a system, in an election to change the world than we have in God to change the world. Money. As long as my bank account's full, as long as my gas tank is full, as long as my refrigerator is full, I'll follow God. It's no problem. You see how easy it is and just the normal stuff every day that we interact with for us to choose control over God? I have two quick stories for you about that idea. The first one comes from Mark chapter 10, and we find a, a story about one of the many people that Jesus encountered when he was preaching the gospel. Scripture remembers this man as someone that you'll know, the rich young ruler. It's a story that most people here are probably familiar with. Jesus has been all over Judea teaching about uh, eternal life and the kingdom of heaven, and this young man runs up to him and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is simple. It's quick. He says, you know the commandments. You know them. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud and honor your father and mother. Right off the bat, Jesus names six. Six of the Ten Commandments. It's sort of like our sermon last week when we talked about uh, Zechariah. When everybody asked about the kingdom of heaven, he said, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, then live like people who want to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, what do I have to do? And he says, well, live like you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Follow the, follow the commandments. It's that simple. It's not a hard answer. But it's hopeful, I think. Hopeful. The rich young ruler, this rich, young, powerful man, he looks at Jesus and he says, teacher, rabbi, I've done all these things since I was a child. All of them. And I think it was hope that, that Jesus would look at him and say, well, then you're good. You're in. You got your youth. You got some power. You got your money. And guess what? You are good with God. You are in. Except that is not how Jesus responds to him. Jesus looks at this rich, powerful young man and he says, one thing you still lack Go sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, is that really a different call than what Jesus did for Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John? I mean, they were fishermen. They're, they're fishing with their nets, and Jesus comes and says, drop your nets and follow me. I mean, they had families family businesses, they had a plan, they made some money. There were things in their life that they were controlling, just like the rich young man. Is it really that different of a call for Jesus to say, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me? Is that any different than what the fishermen were told? Perhaps the, the rich young ruler just had more to give away. Perhaps there was more for him to let go of in order to answer the call, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Scripture records that when Jesus gives him that answer, that rich, young, powerful man looks at him grieved. Grieved. And he walks away because he had so much. Something that, that held him back. I mean, think, think about the rich young ruler. 
he comes running to Jesus. He comes running to the rabbi and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want it. In fact, I want it so bad, I've followed all the rules as for as long as I can remember. I want it. And Jesus says, okay, you want it? Here's what you do. And the rich young ruler says, I want that, but not as much as I want this. I, I can't let go of this in order to pick up that. He's unwilling. He won't do it. There's something that kept him from going all in. And now compare that to another man that, that Jesus meets in, in Luke chapter 19, a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. That's the one that everybody knows as well, right? We, we all know the little song about Zacchaeus from when we were little. Zacchaeus, I don't know if he is young, but he's rich and he's powerful, just like the rich young ruler. Luke records him as being very wealthy. And, and remember, tax collectors are despised and are especially despised by their Jewish families because tax collectors worked for the Romans and so their Jewish families saw them as traitors to everything that the Jews stood for. And Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, which means that he was wealthier than your normal tax collector, more powerful than your normal tax collector, and likely he is more hated than your normal tax collector. Now remember, every young Jewish boy goes to school. The idea is that if every Jewish boy is in school, will find the best and the brightest, and will keep the best and the brightest to become the rabbis of the future. So every young Jewish boy, from a very young age, learns all sorts of scripture. They have to memorize it. At some point, Zacchaeus didn't make the cut. At some point, Zacchaeus chose a different line of work over following into the, the rabbi's profession. But inside, in his mind, in his heart, are all those things that he would have learned as a child. And there is something that happens in Zacchaeus, something awakens in Zacchaeus when he hears about the rabbi who is traveling around and teaching about eternal life in the kingdom of God, something awakens in him, at least to the point where Zacchaeus wants to get a glimpse of this rabbi. And so Zacchaeus, being a short man, climbs a tall tree so he can see over the crowd. He just wants to glimpse the rabbi. Something has brought him there, and it is not being a perfect man. It is not following all of the commandments his whole life. Something else has brought him there. Jesus looks up at the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I need to stay at your house. And the people around Jesus begin to complain and mutter. They begin to say things like, oh my goodness, does he know who that is? He's going he's gonna to go dine with a tax collector, with a sinner. They say all of those things. But Zacchaeus, he's already changed. In that moment, he's a different person. He gets down out of the tree. He looks around at the crowd. He looks at Jesus, and he says, Lord, right here and right now, half of everything I have, I give it to the poor. Did Jesus tell him to do that? No but he wanted to. Right here, right now, half of everything I have, I give it to the poor, and out of the other half, I'm gonna pay back every single person that I cheated, and I'm gonna pay them back quadruple what I cheated them. Right here, right now, Zacchaeus gives away everything he has and then goes to follow Jesus. The thing that Jesus commanded the rich young ruler to do, who could not do it, is the very thing Zacchaeus does out of his heart. Do you see the difference? 
One grapples for control. One says, I want that, but I I need to hold on to this. And the other says, there is nothing that I could hold on to that is worth more than that, and I want that. Jesus goes on to tell a parable about a man who goes and finds a buried treasure. It's everybody's dream, right? Walk into a field, find a buried treasure. The man says, well, I don't know who owns this field, but whoever owns this field, it's their treasure. So he buries it back. He goes home, and he sells everything. He sells his camel, and he sells his house. He sells all his possessions. He takes all that money, everything he has, every dime, all of his liquid assets, and he buys the field so that he has the treasure because the treasure is worth that much. Fasting can be a gift. Done right and done healthily, it can be a gift. Most of us do not rely on God for our literal daily bread. We don't. Let's be honest. The Israelites, they relied on God for their daily bread. They relied on God to send manna, a bread-like substance from heaven, to sustain them when they were in the wilderness. They relied on him. But we, most of us, we live in a world of plenty. The disciples knew hunger. The Jews knew hunger. The Israelites knew hunger, which is why Jesus introduces himself as living water. You'll never be thirsty again. It's why he introduces himself as the bread of life. You will never be hungry again. Sometimes we sit back on the Sunday we come to church and we take in the message and we wonder, why isn't the gospel such good news to me? Why, why doesn't it feel like good news? Perhaps it's because, like the rich young ruler, we are already full. We've had our goodness. We are full. What room is there for the good news when we are already full of good news? That gas tank, that refrigerator, that bank account, that right political person that we have just elected, that right, you name it. Man, we got the good news already. The places that we put our faith and our trust, ah, it's good news, it's already there. We're full of good news. And then when the good news comes along, we wonder, why does that feel so good? The rich young ruler made no room. He couldn't. His hands were full, man. He's so tied to what was in his hands, he couldn't put it down. He couldn't make any room. But Zacchaeus, the most powerful tax collector, the chief tax collector, rich, wealthy, put it all down like that because he saw how good what was being offered. The man who finds a treasure in the field, he puts it all down like that because he sees what is good and what is being offered to him. He made room. You see, fasting can be that simple. We give up something from the plenty and we make room. And then we don't replace the thing we've given up with the thing we want. We replace it with God. So this week, if I give up television for the week, I come home from work, I put the television on, what if I don't do that this week? And then when I feel like, ah, my habit, I'm gonna go, no, no way, I shouldn't do that. 
I want to watch the TV, but instead of doing that, I'm going to put that down, and I'm going to pick something else up, and that thing's going to be prayer. That thing's going to be spending time with God. Or I give up lunch this week. Just, I just give up lunch. Just skip it. So halfway through my afternoon, when it hits me, and my stomach is grumbling, and I'm feeling a little bit hungry, and I want food, be easy to grab some food from a vending machine or stop at a gas station and pick up a hot dog or whatever it is to fill my belly because I'm hungry. But instead of doing that, I'm gonna let those hunger pangs remind me, let me get on my knees. Let me pray. Let me spend some time in God, with God. Fasting can be a gift because it reduces the plenty in our life. We live lives of plenty. It's just true, especially if you look around the world and don't just compare yourself with the person looking that's down the street from you. Look at the great big wide world. As rough as we have it here, it's still a life of plenty. So what if we pick one thing from the plenty and we give it up and we replace that with God? See, I think the questions that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, are you too full? If you wonder why the message doesn't feel good, if you wonder why this stuff doesn't hit you the way it once did, the question that we need to be asking is, are you too full? Is there room? Do you need to make room? Can you make room? Are you willing to make room? What are you willing to give up in order to have that treasure? The treasure's there, folks. It's there. It's waiting. It's not even buried. It's been uncovered, it's been shown to you, it was shown to you on a cross. You don't have to even dig for it. What are you willing to give up for it? See, the thing is, we like to say that God is our king, God is our master, and the truth is that we still take our lives and we do this instead of this. Whose life is it really? I mean, there's beats in my heart today. There's breath in my lungs today. For some reason, God saw fit that I was gonna get up today. He gave me one more day. There's a reason for that. Whose life is that? Because he's the author of life. If God doesn't want me to have any more beats in my heart, doesn't want me to have any more breath in my lungs, I wouldn't. It's that simple. He's got that kind of power. But you're here because he saw fit that you'd be here. He saw fit that you'd wake up. Whose life is it really? Is Jesus really your master? Is God really your king? Is he really your Lord? Now, I've asked Kyle and Brent to play a very specific song today for us to reflect on. It's a favorite of mine. It's an older song. Um, but I want you to consider the words of the song. I know that some of you might be willing to make that commitment. You know what, he is my king, he is my master, and that's good, I'm glad for you. I want you to stand up and sing the song if you wanna do that, if that's how you wanna say that commitment. If you wanna kneel at the cross and that's how you wanna do that commitment, absolutely do that. Whatever you wanna do, but if you just need to hear the words of the song, wash over you, then let that happen too. But here's what I wanna tell you, don't take these words lightly. It's no joke. It's no joke. Here's the words that are gonna be sang. How many times have I turned away? The number is the same as the sand on the shore. But every time you've taken me back and now I pray you do it once more. 
please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. And they're gonna play that. And you respond in the way that you feel like you should respond, in the way that, that God's calling you to respond. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.